0: You are locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the locked on podcast network.
1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of locked on Seahawks. This is Vincent Verhaya, of football outsiders, and I'm back talking your Seattle Seahawks and all the news around the NFL. Thanks for hanging out today and let's hang out again tomorrow. Be sure you and your friends subscribe to the podcast because I will be here for you every weekday. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to play part two of our talk with Travis Rogers of ESPN, ESPN LA 710. He is the host of Locked On Rams here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to break down Sunday's game between the Seahawks and Rams. But before we get into part two of that conversation, I thought I would sit down and break down the Rams' biggest stars, the five players Seattle needs, needs to stop this Sunday if they're going to come out of LA with a win. Now, as we've talked about all week, the Rams are not a good team. They do not have a lot of good players, but they do have some legit superstars on both sides of the ball, and they have a couple of guys who are maybe question marks, maybe not reliable, but they are explosive and dangerous, and they can and have uh, defeated Seattle in the past, so they are guys to watch out for. Not surprisingly, all five of them are former first-round picks. These are the guys you expect to be stars, and the one thing the Rams have done very well lately is make the most of their first-round picks. Jared Goff excluded. Uh, they've also done a fine job of picking up first-rounders who maybe weren't terribly successful on their first team and giving them another try. Uh, the one legit superstar they have in the offensive side of the ball is Todd Gurley. He's a running back. He was the 10th overall pick in 2015. He was a tremendous college player the University of Georgia. As a freshman in, 20, in 2012, he had almost 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns on the ground. And the next two years, he was... A lot of the time, a lot of times injured, and also a lot of times rotated because those bulldogs teams were just ridiculously cartoonishly deep at running back. Uh, so his his numbers his his uh, sophomore and junior years were not terribly impressive, at least not as impressive as his freshman season. Uh, and then he tore his ACL in his junior year, which also uh, cost him half a season and then delayed his start in the NFL. The Rams still took a a chance on him with the 10th overall pick in 2015. And he missed three games at the start of the year, recovering from that ACL. And then once he hit the lineup, he blew up. In his first four starts, he had at least 128 yards in all four games. He did tail off after that. Wasn't quite as explosive in the second half of the year. But when all was said and done, despite getting off that slow start and missing nearly a quarter of the season, he was still third in total rushing yards, third in rushing yards per game. He was the offensive rookie of the year. Now, he didn't do a lot last week. He had 17 carries for 47 yards in that terrible Monday night game against San Francisco. Also caught one pass for a five-yard loss. But it's hard to be terribly productive for a running back when the defense is, uh, has no respect for the passing game at all. And it also has to be said that San Francisco front seven has potential to be uh, pretty good this year. They could be a dark horse on that team. Now, the Rams also have a couple of question marks. Well, one question mark and one, one known commodity in a bad way. Kenny Britt's the question mark. He was the 30th overall draft pick in 2009. Uh, He was drafted by the Titans that that year. Their head coach, of course, was Jeff Fisher, who is now uh, Britt's coach with the Rams. Now, since 2009, Britt's averaged more than 16 yards per catch of the... Of all players in the league with at least 100 catches since 2009, only 11 have averaged 16 yards per catch or more, and Britt is in that group. So he's definitely uh, a, a, an explosive, dangerous downfield threat. He's never been dominant. He's never been consistently productive. His best season as far as total yardage, go, was, total yardage goes, it was only 775 yards, which is you know half a season for a typical number one superstar receiver. And that best season he had, that was six years ago. Now, there's evidence that he's better than his numbers would suggest. Uh, we do know the kind of uh, danger he can provide here in Seattle. You will recall when the Rams won in Seattle last year, Britt beat Richard Sherman for a 20-yard touchdown. Uh, so he, if he can beat Sir Sherman for a touchdown, then really he can beat anyone at, any, at any given time. More importantly, as far as the, uh, the idea that he is not as good as his numbers suggest, here are the quarterbacks that Kenny Britt has played with, the starting quarterbacks for his teams in his uh, seven-year career, I believe, eight-year. Vince Young, a very old Kerry Collins, a very old Matt Hasselbeck, Jake Locker, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Sam Bradford, Austin Davis, Nick Foles, and now Case Keenum, and maybe perhaps Jared Goff. We'll see. So this guy's been around now for the better part of a decade, and he has never played with what you could call a good, uh, good quarterback. The best quarterback he's played with was Ryan Fitzpatrick, and well, I guess Fitzpatrick has the Jets. Uh, he got a, got a win over the Buffalo the other night, but no one's putting Fitzpatrick in the Hall of Fame anytime soon, and that was only one year. Usually it's been guys worse than that. So there's a very good chance that Britain is a better player than his number show. Now the third guy the Rams have on, have on offense is a fascinating, unique player named Tavon Austin. Austin was the eighth overall draft pick in 2013. He has never had a 1,000 yards of scrimmage. He has never had 500 yards receiving in a season. But he can catch the ball. He can run with the ball. He is a punt returner. And he doesn't consistently beat teams with the ball in his hands, but he can score from anywhere. Here's a few numbers on what he's done in his career. His average catch in his career is just 9.0 yards. That's very bad for a wide receiver. His average run is 8.3 yards, and he does run the ball a lot. Uh, He has 98 runs in his career, which is about 2.2 per game. Last year, that was all the way up to 52 runs, which is 3.3 per game. And as a punt returner, he averages 9.2 yards per attempt. So uh, pretty average as a punt returner, pretty crappy uh, yards per catch as a receiver. Tremendous yards per run on uh, in between. It's a small sample size, but it's not tiny. I mean, it's not 20 carries per game, but almost 100 runs, which is a pretty good judge, uh, judgment there. Now, when he scores, here's what those averages jump to. His average touchdown catch is 29.6 yards, and he's got nine touchdown catches in his career. His average touchdown run, and he has seven touchdown runs, 19 yards per play. And his average punt return touchdown, and he has three of those, 83.7 last year. Eighty-three point seven, excuse me, eighty-three point seven yards per play on his touchdown on his punt return touchdowns. Now you saw what he did in Seattle last year. He uh, in the first the season opening win against uh, the Seahawks in, in St. Louis, uh, he scored on a rushing play. He had a punt return touchdown, and he also got behind Richard Sherman for what could have been a long passing touchdown, but Nick Foles under threw the ball. So he's very very dangerous. He's not terribly good, but he's dangerous. He's a threat to score from anywhere. But on the plays where he doesn't score, he doesn't do anything. And the best equivalent I can give you, imagine if you were going to the baseball game and you saw the Mariners' opponents and you're going through their stats and you saw a guy who hit about 200, but he had 40 home runs. That's Von Austin. It's home run or nothing all the time. Now we're going to talk about the Rams' two defensive stars, but before we do, let's look at what else is going on around the Locked On Podcast Network. You can check out John Lund with Locked On 49ers because, hey, the 49ers are in first place right now, so we, do, we should watch what, they, what they're up to. Uh, John's going to preview their game against the Panthers. He also has an interview with Ahmaud Brooks, former 49ers linebacker. Over at the Mothership Locked On NFL, Matt Williams breaks down the Jets-Bills Thursday night game, also previews Week 2. And Vinny Iyer at Locked On Fantasy, he looks at Detroit Stars this week and asks, Is Matt Stafford a fantasy stud once again? All right, with that business out of the way, let's look at the Rams' two defensive stars. Uh, We're going to start with Aaron Donald, who is probably the Rams' best player overall and one of the best defensive players in the league. The 13th overall draft pick in 2014. He was Rookie of the Year that year and a first-team All-Pro in 2015. He has 20 sacks in those first two seasons as an interior lineman. Now, we have a stat of football outsiders called defeats, and uh, a player gets credited with a defeat when he does any of these things. He gets a tackle for a loss, whether it is on a running play, whether it's a sack of a quarterback, or whether it's a, on a completed pass behind the line of scrimmage. Any tackle where the offense loses yardage counts as a defeat. If the player gets an interception, that counts as a defeat. If the player forces a fumble, that counts as a defeat. Or if the player uh, makes a tackle or tips the ball away on third or fourth down and forces the offense to, uh, to kick, that also counts as a defeat. Now, when you total all those up, here's how Aaron Donald has fared. In 2014, he only started 12 games, but he still had 24 defeats, uh, defeats, which was 16th overall in the league, 6th among defensive linemen. And then in 2015, he played all 16 games. He had 31 defeats. This was tied for fifth among all defenders. He was third among defensive linemen behind J.J. Watt of Houston and Khalil Mack of Oakland. And you could argue that Mack is actually an outside linebacker. So if you wanted to say Aaron Donald was second in defeats behind J.J. Watt among defensive linemen, that would be a fair statement. He is one of the very best defensive players in the league. And we all saw how Seattle's line fared against Miami uh, last week. It was not good. So Aaron Donald could be poised for a big game here. And the Rams' other defensive star is another lineman. He plays out on the edge. Robert Quinn, the 14th overall pick in 2011, he really blossomed in his third, fourth, and fifth seasons. From uh, 2012 to 2014, he had 40 sacks uh, in those three seasons. Only J.J. Watt and Kansas City's Justin Houston had more. And he only played eight games last year, but he still came away with five sacks, so he was still productive when he did play. So those are the five guys I'm most worried about. Todd Gurley... Kenny Britt, Tavon Austin, Aaron Donald, Robert Quinn. And if the Seahawks beat those guys, they win. So with more on the Seahawks-Rams game, now we're going to play part two of our conversation with Travis Rogers of Locked On Rams and uh, ESPN in LA. And uh, this is part two of our conversation. And again, I recorded it over the phone, so the sound, sound quality won't be quite as good. But I hope you enjoyed part one yesterday. If you missed that one, be sure to uh, go back and check that out. We're going to play part two, and then I'll be back with a uh, final thought.
2: So give me an idea of what Russell Wilson's going to be like this weekend. Obviously, the ankle, I mean, he's he's going to play. Is it, is it a full Russell Wilson at this point?
0: Uh, he's definitely going to play. Uh, he got his ankle stepped on. Uh, the next play he handed off, the play after that, he was on the field to throw. He, it was just a little wide receiver screen, but he literally couldn't move his feet on that throw, and it was terrifying. We all, we all thought he was done at that point. Um, he came off the drive. They taped up his feet with thick rolls of black tape. He came back looking like Herman Munster on the field <laughs> and, and obviously didn't have the same Russell Wilson mobility we're so used to seeing. Uh, but since then, the, everything they've said is that it's not a serious injury, and I believe them because uh the only roster move they have made is they went out and re-signed a kid named Jake Heaps, who was a low, who a played high school football in the area. He bounced around for, I think, three college schools, and uh I think he was on... Um, he was on a practice squad last year. But they put him on a practice squad. Trevon Boykin is still the backup. And if there was a chance that Russell Wilson might miss this game, there's no way that Seattle would be going in with Trevon Boykin and Jake Keats as their only other options. They would have found someone somewhere with some kind of NFL experience uh, if there was a realistic chance Russell wasn't going to go.
2: You want Case Keenum? Oh.
0: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> uh, we, we might for, for if uh, if Russell's ankle swells up. Um, but he, he's going to go. He probably won't be a hundred. In fact, I'm sure he won't be a hundred percent. So he won't be the same uh, uh, scrambler that we have seen in so many years past. But uh, we saw from the second second half of last year that when he's on, he can be equally as dangerous in the pocket. So, but I'm, I'm, my, my my biggest concern is simply that he gets. Uh, hit again and hurt again i'm not concerned about how he will play if he doesn't
2: get hit i I'm, i keep coming back because russell wilson is every football fans you know, fantasy that you found a franchise quarterback down in the draft it didn't cost you a lot to get him and for a period of time he was relatively inexpensive was and again watching from a distance did everyone in Seattle understand what they had very early in the game? Was it apparent that Russell Wilson was a special guy in that very first year?
0: Uh, from the the, 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 whispers in camp were, well, as we, let's go back even, even before the draft, pretty much everyone agreed that if he was four, he'd have been a top five pick. Mm-hmm. He had every check every check box you'd want in a, in a franchise quarterback. He's just short. Um, so there were there were whispers in, that that was what they got when they that's why he fell to the third round that's why they were lucky to get him. Then there were reports in camp from the, from the people who were there watching every day. They were saying he looked as good as his scouting report said he would. He wins the starting job that year, and for about two thirds of the season, it was he was a, a I won't say a typical rookie quarterback. He wasn't special. He was a he played well for rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. And there was a game that year in uh, November, I think. And the, the bears that year had the best defense in the league and the Seahawks go, to the, go to the bears and they get the ball needing one score inside their own 10. And he led a 90 yard uh, touchdown drive, that eventually won the actually, the bears actually came back and forth overtime, but see how they got the win. But that was the moment where the light bulb went off in my head. When I realized this kid in his, he's played like 11 or 12 NFL games. He went on the road against the best defense in football and got the job done and I was freaking out. I was going crazy at that point. And in the three years since he hasn't done much to to prove me wrong.
2: So No, he he really hasn't. And you know, I, I've always found him to be a little inauthentic when it comes to the way that he presents himself publicly. And and I understand why it's necessary for a lot of guys to do that, because being a real guy gets you in a little bit of trouble every once in a while. But it it, it very quickly became apparent that this this is a guy that is just going to make the right decision on that football field just about every time. And the, the more football I watch year after year after year, I've come to figure out that I think that's the number one trait that you need from your quarterback. It's great if he can throw out the length of the field and make some plays with his legs and all the, the physical things we talk about, but if that guy continually makes good decisions, your team's always going to be in good shape, and he seems to be the the, the embodiment of a guy that just keeps making good decisions.
0: He is, and uh, you're, you're definitely right about his uh, speaking tendencies. He's, he's a guy who are, I am convinced – that in 2050 or so, Russell Wilson's going to run for president. <laughs> for real? For real. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. That's not a joke. I'm convinced that's, his, that's a goal he has down the road. And he's starting now. And if you watch his press conferences, he comes off like a politician.
2: He does. In the yeah. worst way, though. Not in Because uh, sometimes a politician can be kind of greasy but charming. He comes across as robotic and insincere.
0: Sure. There, there's a definite... Uh, uh rehearsal. Yes. He 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 knows what he's going to say in that press conference before the questions are asked. And there's and there's times where he, he it, there's a fine line between being a good teammate and just uh feeding a line of crap.
2: Yes, <laughs> but, indeed.
0: But he was he was talking after that game about how great the offensive line had played. Please. Yes, and we're we, we I think in Seattle we're kind of numb to it. We just know this is what Russell does
1: mm-hmm.
0: but i'm I'm sure any uh, Miami reporter who was in the room did a you know their their eyes popped open when they were <laughs> back.
2: Well, I, I I go back to the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl with the interception on the goal line, which you know, I mean, not to rehash that whole thing, but I, I was always struck by oh, in the immediate aftermath. I mean, you're talking just a handful of minutes later, you see him being interviewed, and his his response to throwing an interception that would have allowed them to be back-to-back Super Bowl champions was. I just can't wait for next year to start. I'm like, come on, buddy. This is oh, where yeah. you drop an F-bomb. This is where you tell a guy to get out of your <laughs> face. This is a real, like what Cam Newton did. Cam Newton was rude, but being rude in that situation is the exact normal thing that all of us would do, that he's saying, I can't wait for next year and get started with my teammates. At that point, I'm just like, come on, pal. Be a human being.
0: Oh, well, that's Russell. Um, he He's always, he is pretty much always aware of his image and he's very protective of his image and wants to, uh, uh, he, he, he doesn't want to show that kind of uh, uh, emotion, for lack of a better word. The, the only time I can ever really remember him getting emotional was in the Green Bay comeback right before that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he he kind of threw one, one of their touchdowns during the rally. He threw not a, not a tantrum, but he had an outburst of uh, excitement on the sideline about how he hates losing. And then after the game, he did just he just broke down. It uh, yeah. was, was shattered. Which and if you watch that game, the the whole rally with the onside kick, you would understand that as well. But other than that, no, he's very uh, uh, protective and concerned with his image, and uh, it is always on his mind.
2: I'm curious what the reception of Pete Carroll will be on Sunday because obviously it's his first return to the Coliseum since he left USC. It's been a while, and I think most SC fans have a very – positive correlation when they think of the name Pete Carroll with all the championships they won and all the winning they did, but there still is that element of he got out of town one step ahead of the NCAA. I'm curious what, what that reception might be like come Sunday.
0: Most of the Trojan fans I know, and that's not as many as you know, obviously, Sure, but most of them I know, um, they, 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 love just, uh, un, unmitigated, un, unabashed love. They, they love Pete Carroll, um, the, the 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 sanctions and the way he left before that hasn't changed their opinion of him at all um It's a funny thing with college football it, it, across the nation fan college football fans tend to be very 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 forgiving of their coaches but very very unforgiving of the players mm. and so the the, the, the Trojans fans I know are upset with the players who may have uh committed uh, infractions but they they don't they, they they don't hold it against Pete at all
2: um I, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, you, you're right. I just – I that, every time that I hear one of those fans start to, to say, oh, the kid, this – look, everybody in this equation is getting obscenely rich in this except for that guy, and if he wants to take a car or something or whatever else, I have no problem. This charade of amateurism has long been dead for me, and anybody that gets caught up in that, I just uh, it's a su- supreme eye roll out of me at least.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, and I'm, I'm not a college football guy. I, I turn it on if I am uh, home on Saturday, basically. Um, I'll, I'll probably check out the Huskies more this year because they're looking pretty good. But when I watch it, all I could think is this coach, is, you know, Nick Saban makes 7 or $8 million a year. And then on top of that, the fans got together and pulled past the hat around and pulled money so they could pay for his house.
2: <laughs> well, you can't, you can't afford and, the man to buy his own house, can you?
0: No, and and then and then I'm watching him scream his head off at his unpaid laborers, and just, just, just breaks a bad chord with me. Yeah, no,
2: you and me both, Vince. I, 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 when were you in Seattle when they hired him, Pete Carroll? Yes. What was the expectation, the reaction to it? Because I, I, I remember when he left, we, we all knew it was just a matter of time until he was going to go back to the NFL. It always felt like there was unfinished business after his time in New York and New England. But there was the, the sense of, you know, well, we'll see. It didn't work the first two times. I thought it would because I think he kind of figured himself out at that point. But what was the reaction there?
0: You know, Seattle's was in a really weird place when he arrived because the Holmgren era had come and gone. Uh, he had moved on. And they had Jim Mora as coach. And he is a local kid who grew up in the area and went to school here. His dad was a coach of the Huskies in the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so he had his supporters. I have never, and frankly still don't, um, I never thought he was an especially good football coach. I watched him in Atlanta. I thought he was uh rotten schematically and also the way he handled the roster. Uh, I thought he threw a lot of players under the bus and, you know, Looking at Michael Vick in 2016 is different than looking at Michael Vick in 2006. Mm-hmm. But the way he refused to hold his star quarterback accountable for when the star quarterback failed to get the job done sometimes, but he, was, he had no problem throwing the rush to the roster under the bus. Uh, it was very strange to me. He came to Seattle. The same thing happened. They had a game, his first or second game, where they lost on a missed field goal. And he goes in his press conference, all he can talk about how his kicker lost the game. It's as much as you knock the Russell Wilson approach. Mora did the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And and for a coach, that's not a good thing. he he lost the locker room immediately, so he's out the door, and he's also out the door in part. I I think in part because Pete Carroll was suddenly available. If Pete Carroll had stayed at USC, I don't know if the Seahawks would have fired Jim Mora in in 2012. It was so it was all a very very strange situation, and we're here in Seattle. And his first two stints in New York and New England, they weren't bad, but he didn't last long and he had a spot. And now here he is. He's having a great run at USC, but he also, at the time, seemed like he was, uh, you know, jumping out the door there. Yep. And it seemed it didn't it didn't seem like uh, a guy you could have confidence in to stick around and get the job done over the long haul. And here we are. It is now year five, and uh, anyone knew him, we can't complain.
2: <laughs> no, no, uh, far from it. I, I mean, the, yeah. the, the fact that, that, that he's having success doesn't surprise me because I, he's smart and he's flexible. And I think that those are two things that are incredibly important when it comes to being a good coach. But that that he has been as successful a Super Bowl championship another Super Bowl appearance and like you mentioned that the the Seahawks seem like they're about as stable an organization as you're going to find in the NFL maybe outside of New England Green Bay Pittsburgh and but but Seattle has kind of nosed their way into that group that 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 might be his greatest accomplishment the winnings one thing but the stability that he's brought is is I think very very surprising
0: no I totally agree um the only uh, they've had the same coach, GM, and quarterback now for, uh, uh, this is, like I say, this is, well, year, well, 30, 40, 30. This is year five of uh, Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, and that's kind of the key. Like you say, those other teams that have stability at the top. The only revolving door for Seattle has been the defensive coordinator spot, but that's not a big deal because Pete's doing the defense anyway.
2: Vince, I'm trying to think of what else we, we we haven't covered. Getting ready for this game this weekend. What what have we not gone over?
0: You know, we have talked about the Seahawks a lot. Uh, we have not talked about the Rams very much, and I know there's not, there's not much uh, to
2: say, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but But uh, is there anything? I know. I know you. You. I, I don't know how much you watched the Rams when they were in St. Louis. So uh, I know. I know. Week one, there was not a lot to like. But in your eyes, if mm-hmm. the Rams are going to pull off this upset, how do you see it going down? Is there one player that needs to have a big game, or is there is there one player? We need to even just have a much better game. Uh, I, if gonna find a way to win.
2: Yeah, I think there's two guys, and and unfortunately, I think it's the two most obvious guys, and I think it's the two guys that everybody comes in when they play the Rams game planning to stop, and that's Gurley and Donald. Uh, if if you can keep Todd Gurley from getting loose, you're going to beat the Rams. I mean, they, it's the one weapon they have offensively. You look at their wideouts. You look at Kenny Britt. You look at Brian Quick. They've tried to add Tyler Higby as their tight end. He's a rookie out of Western Kentucky who looks promising but still very, very green. Tavon Austin, I, I'm, I'm not a big Tavon Austin guy. Anytime that your your play consists of give him the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage over and over and over again, I, I'm not really concerned of that as a defensive coordinator. But if you can stop Gurley, look at what the Niners did on Monday night. They had eight guys in the box, sometimes nine. I mean, Steve Young said it really well on, on the telecast, I thought, is that they were playing a defense that a high school defensive coordinator would put together that just you had man-to-man outside, and that was it. Everybody else was on the line of scrimmage because they knew the quarterback couldn't throw the ball. Um, And then on on the other side, if you block Aaron Donald, there's not a lot of other guys on that side of the ball that are playmakers that are going to blow up what it is you're trying to do. And the Niners did a good job on him. They had him double-teamed most of the night. I just there there just isn't a ton of talent on this football team right now that needs to be accounted for when they break those huddles and short of Gurley going crazy and short of Donald making a couple of big plays to to take the ball away on short fields, I, I think that's the that's the focus and it's not much beyond that.
0: I wanted to ask what you thought of, of uh, uh, Tavon Austin because he is, I guess, the Rams' number one receiver. It's hard um, to tell sometimes. Yes, um, but. uh Seattle's top wide receiver is Doug Baldwin, and Baldwin and Austin both signed extensions this offseason, and Tavon Austin got more guaranteed money.
2: Hey, well, and, yeah, you know. <laughs> Tavon Austin has a better agent, I guess. Clearly.
0: Yeah. Because then he goes out on Monday night, uh, something something like 13 yards and 12 targets.
2: Yeah, yeah no, he he had a couple of catches. It, the, the the problem with Tavon Austin is that the Rams have this vision of him becoming Deshaun Jackson. And and it's just not coming together. Because Deshaun Jackson, while small of stature, played big. Deshaun Jackson was a guy that could get downfield, who could run routes, who could do things down the field. You look at what they do with Austin, and maybe part of it is is that they don't have anybody that can get him the ball. Maybe that's a part of it. But you look at him, it's, it's bubble screens, it's reverses, and it's all stuff at or very near the line of scrimmage. And I don't think that's going to keep a defensive coordinator up at all. And I I don't know if it's Tavon Austin's fault, but it's certainly a a position that I think is – Terribly overvalued in the Rams game. Like you said, the amount of money they gave a guy that had five receiving touchdowns last year and a number one receiver that lines up in the slot most of the time, it just—it it doesn't add up to me. He, he's one of those guys that as a concept, as an idea, is intriguing. But in reality, especially with the rest of the personnel the Rams have, there just isn't much there. Yeah, I think
0: there's an, over, uh, there's an overemphasis around the league when you're evaluating, evaluating wide receivers in the draft. I think people tend to fall in love with athleticism and potential, mm-hmm. and they don't look enough at college production. Mm-hmm. Um, the same year he came out, Cordero Patterson came out and, and uh, ended up in Minnesota, and both of those guys were do-everything Swiss Army knife, Jack of all trades college players. They were rushers, they were returners, they were receivers, and they made you know lightning in a bottle plays all the time. But then when you look at just, just what they did as wide receivers, I don't think they were as developed as a lot of other players uh, uh, a lot of other draftees and you've kind of seen in the NFL where uh, Patterson's a tremendous kick returner, but he can't get on the field for a team that has not a lot of depth of receiver in Minnesota. And,
2: well, the Rams have no depth. The The Rams have Kenny Britt and Brian Quick as their two guys, and Brian Quick would have been cut in any other camp on any other team. The fact of the matter is, Farrell Cooper and Nelson Spruce, two guys that the Rams have as rookies this season, are both hurt and unable to go, or I think Brian Quick gets cut. Kenny Britt is what Kenny Britt is. He's he's a, a veteran guy. He's okay, but he's certainly not going to scare you. And that you're right, that leaves Austin. And it just it, is, is a concept, a potential, all these things. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, but the reality of it is it's just not there, and 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 I'm starting to wonder if it's ever going to be, especially with the quarterback play you're seeing.
0: Yeah, the the, the reality for Austin is he's a guy who, to make an impact on the field at any phase of the game, he basically needs to break two or three tackles on a play. Mm -hmm. And bringing it back to this game, when your game plan is, we are going to break a lot of tackles, the Seahawks' defense is not the defense you want to be playing against.
2: Nope. Nope, I I, I, <laughs> I I'm I'm hoping that you're right that there's a talisman, a jinx, a voodoo doll, something a an Indian burial ground somewhere that we don't know about that, that is preventing Seattle from winning these games because this just feels like it might be ugly all over again.
0: Well, you never know. I mean, we uh, we all thought, I mean, so I thought that Seattle was going to manhandle Miami when all was said and done, and that, that was a nail biter down to the end. So you never know until things kick off. But looking at these two rosters, looking at where uh, where the Rams have the edge. It's their defensive line is better than Seattle's offensive line. And that's about it.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I would have said the same thing going into San Francisco and that didn't, that didn't materialize as well. Vince, that was fun. That was good, man. I enjoyed that.
0: Me too, man. Thank you for having me on it. And I appreciate you helping me out.
2: You got it. We'll do it again. I hope uh, later in the season when they play again.
0: Oh, we get to see the color rush game. That'll be fun.
2: Oh, that's right. It's the Thursday night game. That's right. Yeah, it's neon yellow and action green. <laughs> yeah, those yellow Rams ones are a bit muddy. They look like giant bananas with a bruise on the end. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but I could see that. <laughs> All right, Vince. Thanks a bunch. All right, thank you, All right, there we go. I want to
1: th- thank Travis Rogers of Locked on Rams for jumping on with the uh, crosstalk there. That's going to do it for today, and that's going to do it for this week. I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for subscribing. Thank you all for uh, telling your friends. Be sure to check out footballoutsiders.com for all my writings on pro football. Be sure to check out wrestlingobserver.com with the latest Brian and Vinny show. Brian and Vinny show is up, pardon me. uh, Reviewing the Cruiserweight Classic Finals, which was a fine wrestling program, tremendous action. Uh, Be sure to follow me on Twitter at FO underscore VVERHEI. Uh, We will talk to you again probably Sunday night. I'm going to try and do a post-game show uh, on the – a quick post-game reaction show. If not, I will talk to you Monday afternoon. Thank you again for listening, and go Hawks.
2: the list.